Julie quoted earlier one of my all-time favorite verses, and I would just invite you, let's say Isaiah 26.3 together. Please join me. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In the Old Testament, the superlative of something is often expressed by doubling the word. So literally here, perfect peace is peace, peace. It is a double portion of God's peace for those who will meet two conditions. Number one, our minds must be firmly fixed upon the Lord, firmly established upon Him. And then number two, we must trust in Him, committing ourselves to Him and our way to Him by walking by faith. The Bible says when we do that, we can have peace, peace, double peace, perfect peace. Uh, Disciple Magazine had this to say, The deepest want of man is not a desire for happiness, but a craving for peace. Not a wish for the gratification of every desire, but a craving for the repose of submission in the will of God. And it is this which Christianity promises. Christianity does not promise happiness, but it does promise peace. Isn't that helpful? Christianity does not promise happiness, It does promise peace. You know the word peace here is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is spiritual well-being from a right relationship with God. That's what peace is. Peace is a sense of spiritual well-being because of a right relationship with God. And I don't know about you, but that beats happiness every day. Because you can have peace even when events are not happy. What a wonderful birthright we have in Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, the Lord Jesus teaches us how to have peace. And as we come, really, to the last teaching that He has for us in the Last Supper Discourse, before He prays for us, in John 17, Jesus does two things as He teaches us about Peace in tribulation. First, he gives to us the basis for our peace. And then like a wonderful teacher, he applies that peace to our lives. Let's open our Bibles, shall we, this morning to John 16. And I want to begin by reading verses 25 down through 28. John 16, and follow me in your Bibles starting at verse 25, and let's begin down to verse 28. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. 
And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Let's pray together for just a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you that in these final words before your great high priestly prayer, you return to the subject of peace. Lord, we are an anxious people. We are a people who worry. We often find ourselves saying, I sure didn't expect this. And we become anxious and robbed of tranquility and settledness of heart and mind. And thank you that Jesus knows that. And so he teaches us about the peace of God that passes all understanding and can actually guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How we need that peace today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. As Jesus talks about the basis for our peace, the first thing he tells us is we can have peace because the Father loves his children. Now Jesus begins in verse 25 and he says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming and when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. There were many things about God and His salvation the disciples could not understand. And so twice here he says, I've spoken to you in figures of speech. The reference there is to veiled sayings, obscure language. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus did tell his disciples plainly that he would die and rise again, they didn't get it. And you may recall that uh, Peter, in fact, rebuked Jesus. Remember that? He said to Jesus, this will never happen to you. And so what our Lord did is he began to speak to them, teaching them cryptically, in figures of speech. Uh, remember back in verse 16, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And the disciples are scratching their heads, aren't they? What does he mean by a little while? You're gonna, I'm not going to see you, and then in a little while, we will see you. And so they didn't understand or get these cryptic figures that Jesus used. Do you know, by the way, all of us have understood that there are some things you cannot understand until you've experienced them, right? I mean, you can read all the books that you want on marriage, but you don't understand the challenges of marriage until you're married. You can read all the books you want on parenting, right? But you will never learn that parenting is your hardest job ever until that first child is born. Uh, do you know Ellen and I thought we were going to be the perfect parents? You know what I know now? 
We are the perfect imperfect parents. That's what we are now. And there are just some things you cannot learn until you have been through them. Now, do you know, for example, when Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church, and Peter, you're going to be a key part of this? Do you think Peter had any way of understanding the day of Pentecost and the beginning of the church? Could he ever fathom, I mean, he hasn't even yet at this point denied his Lord, could he ever fathom that he would preach a message and 3,000 people would be converted and the worldwide church would begin? Listen, how could you possibly understand that without knowing about the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and the giving of the Great Commission? There is no way the disciples could understand a simple statement like, I will build my church until they had been through all of those things. Now, one of the things that Jesus tells us here the disciples would not understand was God's love and the access that they would have to God because of all that Jesus would do. Look at verse 26. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you, I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and believe that I came from God. How do you understand the love of God without the cross? How do you possibly understand that? This morning, when I say to you something like this, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he said, I love you this much. And he stretched out his arms and died. You see, we understand that. Because we understand the cross. We know the cross. But to the disciples at this point, the cross was the greatest tragedy they had ever experienced. There was no way that they could understand the cross until after the resurrection, and there was no way that they could explain the cross until after the Holy Spirit had been sent. Look at what the cross and the resurrection would teach the disciples. Look at what it teaches us. Jesus says in that day in verse 26, and he's talking about the day of the cross and then the resurrection and the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Look at the things that we would learn. Number one, we have unrestricted access to the Father in prayer. Jesus says in verse 26, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Because Jesus now intercedes for us, we can go directly to God with our requests. We don't even need to give our requests first to Jesus 
And then have Jesus present those requests to the Father. By the way, if we don't have to do that with Jesus himself giving our request to the Father, how much more do we not need to have another person give our request from us to the Father? We have direct access to the Father in prayer. This is why the Bible says in Romans 5, 2, through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice secondly, we have the fatherly love of the Father constantly supplying our needs. In verse 27, Jesus says, For the Father himself loves you. Now this love that Jesus mentions here is a special love of God for believers. It's the love of God for us after we are saved because now we belong to God as his children. I read about a man who went up to a father who had four children. He said, why do you love your kids? The man paused for a moment and said, because they're mine. Can you think of any other answer? What other answer could you possibly give to why you love your kids, but because they are mine? And now Jesus says, God loves us because through the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, we are now His. And then look thirdly, we are accepted by the Father as much as He accepts His own Son. Jesus says, the Father loves you Himself because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. Remember how Jesus said this earlier. Turn back to chapter 14 for just a moment and notice verses 21 and 23, how Jesus said this very same thing. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Look at chapter 15, and, and notice Jesus says a very similar thing in verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love. Now look at what Jesus is saying. Our love for Jesus and our faith in Him has brought us into a circle of love that includes the Father Himself. One of my favorite verses I learned in the King James Bible is Ephesians 1.6 where it says, He has made us accepted in the Beloved One. He has made us accepted in the Beloved One. And if we ask, why is that true? Jesus says there's a second basis for our peace. That second basis is the Son 
has secured our salvation. Look at verse 28 again. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. Do you know this is a summary verse of the whole Gospel of John? This is a summary of Jesus' entire mission. In fact, let me show you uh, how this is, how God saves us in four wonderful stages. Look at what Jesus says. I have come from the Father and have come into the world. That is a reference to his incarnation. God became man. Then Jesus says, I am now leaving the world. That is a reference to his crucifixion. Christ died for us and his resurrection. Christ rose from the dead for us. And then Jesus says in verse 28, And now I am going to the Father. That is a reference to his ascension. Christ has ascended to heaven where he pleads the merits of his blood on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, this is why the Father loves his children. Jesus has completed the mission. He has come into the world as the incarnate Son of God. He has died for us, having become one of us. He has risen on our behalf. And now He has ascended back to the Father. And John, who later came to understand what all of this meant, would say in his first epistle, And now we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is not only the satisfaction for our sins, he is the satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. And that is why we now have peace with God. One of my favorite poems I looked up again this week And oh, how I love this poem. Listen to it. So dear, so very dear to God, more dear I cannot be. The love wherewith He loves His Son, such is His love to me. So near, so very near to God, nearer I could not be. For in the person of his Son, I am as near as he. Pastor Harry Ironside said this, We are as dear to the heart of the Father as his only spotless Son. Can you believe that this morning? We are as dear to the heart of the Father as His only, holy, spotless Son. This is why the Bible says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. It is the basis for our peace. Now, it's out of this that Jesus applies 
two very wonderful lessons to our lives. He knew the disciples would need these, and he knows that you will need these. He knows that I will need these. And so let's move, shall we, from the basis for our peace to the application of our peace. Look at verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and you do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, two wonderful applications here. Here's the first one all of us will need. The Father's faithfulness keeps us saved. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor Brian, why do you know that you are eternally secure? My answer would be, it is not because I will keep myself saved. It is because the Father, in His faithfulness, keeps all who are His own. Now, did you notice that verses 29 and 30 are two of the most amusing verses in all the Bible? Do you like humor in the Bible? Look at verse 29. His disciples said, Ah, you know people are in trouble when they say that. Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. The disciples believe, and we all say, Great. But they think their faith is mature. They think it is now all clear. In fact, in verse 30, they think no one needs to ask Jesus any more questions, including them. They think they got it, all of it. How many of us here today think they got it? Jesus didn't either. Look what he says in verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Add the word really in there. Do you now really believe? And then he drops this bombshell on them in verse 32. Their faith is so weak, he says, you are going to abandon me. Each of you is going to go to his own home and you will leave me alone. And do you know what this is? 
This is dramatic irony. They believe in Jesus' origin, but they have no idea what that means. And what they claim they believe about Jesus will fail them in the hour of testing that is shortly to come. Hey, once again, the disciples did not know themselves, did they? They were overconfident. Can I share with you a big lesson here that all of us need to get very clearly? The founding members of the church were discredited men without courage. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Shortly they will be filled with cowardice and fear. Someone else has called them weak and needy men. By the way, it sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like us. I've been a pastor now this summer for 32 years. You know what I've concluded after 32 years? The church is full of weak and needy men and women. That's what I've concluded. And I often feel, and this is no joke, I'm not trying to be self-effacing or humble, I often feel I am the weakest of them all. Sometimes I think of the sins I haven't committed. And I have to conclude, the only reason I haven't committed those sins is I've not faced the same temptations that others have faced. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor, what would you do if you faced a certain temptation? All I could honestly say to you is I hope I would not sin. I hope I would not sin. But I would not really know until I was tested. And until that time of testing may come, I am compelled to pray on a regular basis, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Do you know what that request is for? That request, Lord, lead me not into temptation, is a request for weak and needy people like you and me. Isn't that why it is so encouraging in verse 32 that Jesus says, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Talk about a prescription for peace. You all are going to abandon me. And Jesus felt the pain of that as a human being. And yet he could say, I'm not alone because I know the Father is with me. I like what Bible teacher D.A. Carson says at this point. The church is not founded upon fickle people, but on a faithful father. 
The church is not founded upon fickle people, but on a faithful father. One other Bible teacher has says, the glue of Christianity is not the disciples, it is Jesus. It is Jesus. The glue that holds the church together, that holds our lives together, is not us. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. And remember what he promised his disciples? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you again. He said to them earlier in this chapter, I will see you again. Not you will see me. I will see you. And I will come searching for you. And the same faithfulness of the Father that kept them is the same faithfulness of the Father that keeps us saved. You know what I can guarantee us here today? We have failed. We do fail. And we may fail again. Have I spoke the truth today? You look at that and you say, all right, that's us. How can we have peace? God will not fail. God will not fail. In just a few hours, the overconfident Peter would deny his Lord three times. His Lord would not fail him. And years later, he would write these words in 1 Peter 1.5, We are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter learned, The Father will keep me saved by his faithfulness. Jude, who was the half-brother of Jesus, did not even believe in him at this moment. And yet, as you get to the little book of Jude, in one of the last verses, verse 24, Jude, who is now a believer, says, He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before His glory with great joy. And Jude learned the Father's faithfulness keeps us saved. Now, there is a second wonderful application. Secondly, Jesus says to us, the Son's victory makes us brave. The Son's victory makes us brave. Look at what he says. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, isn't this encouraging? All 11 failed. But after their failure, Jesus restored all 11 of them. By the way, how many times has Jesus forgiven and restored me? You? Too many to count. Too many to count. And then Jesus gives them the bad news. You're going to have tribulation in this world. It means pressure. Pressure. 
You are going to live in a world of pressure and tribulation and trouble. But the good news, says Jesus, is that at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus defeated the world and Satan. And he says, every believer is in him. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. We are all in him. And because we are in him by faith, we share his victory over the world. And because we share his victory over the world, we can, together with the Apostle Paul, share and quote and state some of the most famous words in all of the Bible. Let's say them together in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Join me in saying them. This is because of the victory of Christ and we are in him, therefore his victory is our victory. Join me. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why in the very verse before this, verse 37, Paul says, in all these things, these things in verses 38 and 39, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the word conquerors there is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, I have overcome the world. How marvelous is his victory. Do you know when I was a kid, I ran from bullies? Did you know that? I was only 135 pounds when I graduated from high school. One of my teammates once said to me, we need to get some more muscle on those bones of yours. Really made me feel great. Do you know what? If I would have known no matter what those bullies did to me, I would prevail against them, I would have been braver. I would have been braver. But I did not know that I would prevail. Therefore, I ran and lived in fear. But as believers... We know Christ's victory is our victory. We know that. And because we know that, we do not need to run or ever live in fear. His victory makes us brave. One of the Christians who has taught us a great deal about bravery is Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew, if he's still alive, is 89 years of age. He founded the ministry Open Doors 
He became known as God's smuggler. He smuggled countless Bibles into totalitarian countries behind the Iron Curtain and the Bamboo Curtain. In his book, The Calling, he talked about years ago a plan to smuggle one million Bibles into China. And they got a Chinese team member by the name of Joseph, who was a believer, to be a translator. And they met with five Chinese Christians from the underground church. Joseph said to them, first of all, do you know how much space one million Bibles takes? And they said, don't worry, we have the space. Then Joseph said to these underground church members of the Chinese house church, are you aware of the risk if you are caught with just a portion of these Bibles? Do you know what they can do to you? And here's what these five precious believers said. Joseph, all of us have been in prison for the Lord. Altogether, we've spent 72 years in jail for Jesus. We are willing to die if it means that a million brothers and sisters can have a copy of God's Word. And here's what Brother Andrew had to say. But God is never defeated. Though he may be opposed, attacked, resisted, still the ultimate outcome can never be in doubt. Every day we see fresh proof that indeed all things, even evil ones, work together for those who are called by His name. And because that is true, we can have peace in tribulation. How wonderful Jesus teaches us. The Father loves us because we are His children. The reason that is true is Jesus has secured our salvation. He came from the Father into the world. He died and rose again and left the world and went back to the Father. And because that is true, our salvation depends not on our faithfulness, but the faithfulness of the Father. And when we know that, the victory of the Son, who can take a 135-pound weakling, who needs more muscle on his bones. That son can take that man and make him braver than he ever thought he could be. 
What a wonderful peace comes from Jesus Christ. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank the Lord. In a moment, we will gather around the table of the Lord. And I've been speaking truth for the children of God. If you are a child of God, you revel in this truth. I could hardly wait to get here this morning because I revel in this truth. But if you are not a child of God, you do not understand. It's like words on a page. Jesus came to secure your salvation. Has he secured it? Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? And are you now following him as one of his disciples? In a moment, we will celebrate what it means to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you are unsure and cannot partake, why don't you make sure now? Why don't you say, Lord Jesus, I I believe. I don't understand it all. My, my faith is weak and immature like the disciples was, but I believe. And right now I come before you as a sinner needing a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Come into my heart and be my Savior. I believe you rose again as Lord of all Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Give to me the gift of eternal life. Make me this moment a child of God. I repent. I turn from my own way. And I turn to you. And now, Lord Jesus, with you living within me, I will follow you with all of my heart. God helping me. Say to the Savior, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. For those of us who are believers today, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know the anxious thoughts that will crowd our minds and our lives. But God is never defeated. Though He may be opposed, attacked, resisted, Still, the ultimate outcome can never be in doubt.
and rising up in that ultimate outcome. We can say, Lord, make me brave. Make me brave. No matter what comes, no matter what you call me to go through, make me brave. Make me brave. Oh, blessed Lord, knowing in a few hours what the disciples would face, we cannot thank you enough that before you closed their time together with your high priestly prayer, you taught them again about peace. And in the days to come, the pressure would be so great, James would have his head taken off. Peter would be imprisoned, facing the same outcome. Paul would be beaten and thrown into a dungeon. And yet through it all, after the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, and the Great Commission, they would become men of such courage that people would say about them, they must have been with Jesus. They must have been with Jesus. And Lord, we are with Jesus too. And we thank you that his victory is our victory. How we love you and praise you. For Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen.